Psalm 27, starting from verse 1. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war arise against me, yet I will be confident. One thing have I asked of the Lord that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock. And now my head shall be lifted up above all my enemies all around me. And I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud. Be gracious to me and answer me. You have said, seek my face. My heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. Hide not your face from me. Turn not your servant away in anger, O you who have been my help. Cast me not off. Forsake me not, O God of my salvation. For my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me on a level path because of my enemies. Give me not up to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me, and they breathe out violence. I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. Our next reading comes from John chapter 1, verses 1 to 14. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth." Oh, gracious God and Heavenly Father, we thank you so much uh, that in your goodness uh, you sent your Son into this world. And on Christmas Day, uh, it's a day where we remember and celebrate his birth. We pray now as we look into your word that you would speak to us ever so clearly about what is it that we most need. In this life, we will receive many presents and we will want many things. But help us see what is it that's one thing that we most need to have in this life. Please help us to hear your word, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, during Christmas, um, there are always uh, movies, isn't it, that are associated with Christmas time. Uh, and um, a few years back, news.com.au did a poll for what is the, the, the best, the most favorite Christmas movie of all time. And coming in at 25% of the votes was Die Hard. 
right? So weird, right? Die Hard, not really a Christmas movie, but it is set during Christmas time. It's about him trying to get back to his family. Anyway, not very Christmassy. Um, but one of the, the movies that were high up on that list, and in most lists for Christmas movies, is a movie that is based on 12 individual stories that are interconnected. Uh, stories about relationship. And in this movie, the message is, what do we most want and most need for Christmas? And the answer is, love, actually, right? <laughs> yeah, love, actually, is what we most need. Now, this is, comes with an MA or R-rated warning. There's some really weird uh, couples in there that you may not want to watch. Uh, but really, it's a story about how love is what we most need, right, during Christmas and, I suppose, in all of life. And in this, in this movie... Uh, there was a song, right, that, that, that a character sings, uh, which was written and performed by Mariah Carey back in 1994, All I Want for Christmas is You, right? All I Want for Christmas is You. And, and um, in 1994, that song was written and sung. And did you know that four weeks ago, in the Billboard Top 100, it became number one for the first time? 25 years later, can you believe it, right, a song has been listened to and sung and voted uh, to be number one 25 years later. What, what other song do you know that is number one on the charts 25 years after it's written? It, it goes to show, doesn't it, that the world really does believe that what we most need in Christmas, what we most want in Christmas is love. Even we would probably agree with that. It, it's, a, it's a great thing to want to have and to need to have, which is love. Now, what about you? What did you most want for Christmas this year? What do you most want for Christmas? Like if you don't just think about the temporal, you know, or the pleasurable, but, but really, what, what is the deepest wants and needs in your life? What would you have said? You see, at the heart of Psalm 27, in verse 24, David tells us what he most wants and what he most needs. Have a look at verse 4. One thing have I asked of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. The one thing that he asks of the Lord, the one thing he wants and needs, whether it's Christmas time or not, is actually three things, isn't it? He's kind of greedy. The one thing is actually three things, isn't it? To dwell in the house of the Lord, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord, and to inquire in God's temple. Now, what exactly is it? What is this one thing that David wants? How, how come it's in three parts? Now, when you think about the, the, the house of the Lord, the house of the Lord is, is the Old Testament shorthand for the tabernacle or the temple, all right? The, the, the tabernacle or temple structure. Uh, and, and what David here is saying isn't that he literally wants to live physically in the temple 24-7, right? For one, there's, there's no toilets there, right? And where would he get his food? And it's kind of uncomfortable. I don't know, it, it's, 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 it's symbolic. Because the, the tabernacle, the temple, is, is the symbol that, of God's dwelling place. What he's asking for is that he wants to be in God's presence 24-7. He wants to dwell in the presence of God. And we see that the, the next idea is the same. He wants to, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. And once again, it's not a literal thing. For the Lord, as we know, hopefully we know, <clears throat> it's not a person or an object that you can look upon physically. For the Lord is spirit. So what does it mean to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord? In a way, it's to reflect and to think about and to appreciate more of God's character and His ways. It's, it's like what we would do if we were sitting face to face in front of someone beautiful or, or a painting or a landscape. And we want to check it out and, and look intently 
and look at taking all the details and appreciate all the beauty. If God was present with David, then he'd be able to, to know and, and, and appreciate more of what God is like. God, in his loving kindness, in his graciousness, in his mercy, in his power, in his strength, to be able to gaze upon the beauty of God's, God's character. And then finally we see that he also wants to see, not just see God, but to be able to speak to God as well, to, to inquire in the temple, to ask questions of God. Now, for some of us, we have kids, and for others of us, we were once kids. And you know what kids are like? They like to ask questions, don't they? And in the last few weeks, we've been asked a lot, can I buy this? Can I buy that? Right? They, they, they are, they are, they are, they are latching on to the Christmas spirit and thinking that their parents will buy them lollies and toys and whatever. <clears throat> you know, kids will ask all kinds of questions. You know, what, what do things mean? Or why is a spoon called a spoon? <laughs> you know? Or, or why is Christmas Christmas? Right? Christ, they get Jesus Christ. But what's the must be meaning? Or they might ask during Christmas time when people are traveling, you know, are we there yet? And then a minute later, are we there yet? And then a minute later, are we there yet? Why aren't we there yet? Right? Or maybe they might even ask us more serious questions, like in the middle of the night during the storm, you know, Zoe coming out and saying, Daddy, can you come and stay with me? Because I'm scared. Can you stay with me? Right? You see, the, when we ask questions, when kids ask questions, they only ask because there's a relationship, isn't it? Kids ask questions of their parents because there's a relationship. Because they think and they have confidence that their parents can answer them and give them what they need and what they want. And that's what David does. He, he's, he's want, he knows that he has a relationship with God and he wants to be able to enjoy that. The one thing that David wants that's encapsulated by these three requests is really simply the presence of God. What David most wants is the presence of God. Now, what, what is it about God, what is it about the Lord that made David want him so badly? Why is it that the Lord is the only one thing, the only thing that David sought after? Now, let's have a look from verse 1 to see what kind of Lord David wants. Now, David's desire for the Lord is based on who he knew the Lord to be, based on past objective experience of the Lord. Based on his past objective experience of the Lord. So we see in verse 1, David knows the Lord as his light and his salvation, the stronghold of his life. And we know this, right? The Lord had been light in David's darkness. Psalm 23 is a really famous psalm that many of us know, and it says this, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. My my, he leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You see, the, the, Lord of, the, the light of God had led David out of darkness of death many times over. If you've been around for the last few weeks, you would have heard time and time again, how, how, how God had been David's light leading him out of the darkness of, 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 of enemies and, and even certain death at times. David doesn't say anything too specific here in Psalm 27. He simply speaks of evildoers who are chasing him down, he speaks of his adversaries and foes and nations rising up against him. And over and over, he had seen how the light and the salvation of God had come to him. 
But but more than just his own individual salvation, David, as the king of Israel, remember, would have known how God had rescued Israel out of Egypt and the Exodus, right? The great salvation event of the Old Testament. David, as the king of Israel, would have known how God had, had brought them into the promised land, protecting them from all the enemies, and how the Lord had been Israel's stronghold as they dwelt in the promised land. Now, when you look at the map of, of, of ancient world, and even now, Israel and where it's situated, they, were, they, they have no right, really, as a nation to stand, let alone be strong. They're a tiny nation surrounded by um, world powers and massive empires. Israel, to its uh, southwest, is Egypt, the great nation, and to the north and to the northeast is Assyria and Babylon. They had no right to be a stronghold, but they were a strong and mighty nation under the the kingship of David because the Lord God had been their stronghold. You see, David knew the Lord and what the Lord had done. And it's clear to us that his knowledge is not merely just intellectual, not just head knowledge, that David's knowledge of the Lord as light and salvation and stronghold was also personal and intimate. You can tell this, right, in the way he says, I I, I will not be afraid, I have no fear. And he's able to say, yet I will be confident in the face of all these troubles and all these enemies. It wasn't just head knowledge. He was confident, no fear. Now, many of you may know that I've had a lot of surgeries, right? Between the age of 15 and 38, I have had surgery once every one and a half years, all right? Uh, and one of the major ones I had was about six years ago. I had an ACL reconstruction. So that's like a pretty important ligament in your knee. I managed to tear that in half, and they had to replace it. Now, I had wanted to see my previous surgeon, who had done my other two knees, two of my other knees, uh, both my knees. That was my <laughs> third surgery. Uh, but um, he was too expensive, because after he had treated me, he got so good that he was treating like the Broncos and, you know, superstars. So he was too expensive. So I go search for another doctor, and was recommended this doctor called Dr. Shaw, and uh, he was meant to be a good guy, a good surgeon, so I made an appointment to see him. And you know, when you go through a pretty major surgery, you want to ask questions, right? So I asked questions of Dr. Shaw, making sure he was a good guy, he knew what he was doing, whether this was the right procedure, and I was confident, right, that uh, he would do a good job. But all the same, leading up to the surgery, and, and I was lying on that bed, waiting for me to count to 10, you know, as they put the anesthetic into you, I was scared. I was worried that it wouldn't work, that I wouldn't be able to play sport again which would be like a living hell for me, right? So I was scared. You see, I had knowledge that he was a good doctor, a good guy, but my heart still worried. You you can have knowledge about something, but it might just be in your head and not in your heart. Anyway, the surgery went well, and my knee is better than ever, and now I should get my other knee done, right? But, you know, that's another story. Anyway, one and a half years later, I did have to have another surgery, and this time it wasn't for my knee, it was for my shoulder. I tore ligaments, tore tendons, I needed a shoulder reconstruction this time. So back on the phone, Dr. Shaw, I need to see you, more questions, more chatting, confident. But this time, I wasn't scared because I had experience with Dr. Shaw before. He'd done such a great job. My head knowledge had become heart knowledge as well. It wasn't just intellectual, it was personal. Now David, maybe the first time that he called out to God, He wasn't really sure. He knew the Lord from his parents and his grandparents. 
But having been saved, having, having had the, the, the Lord be his light and be his salvation, his stronghold, over and over and over again, there was a personal connection, a trust in the Lord. It's no wonder that David knew that the one thing, the only thing, the best thing that he ever needed was the Lord and the Lord's presence. Now, it is from this past experience of the Lord that gives David hope for the future. And we see this, this, uh, this confidence exuding out from verse 5 and 6, isn't it? Have a look at verse 5 and 6 and what David thinks about the future, right? He, he, he's so confident, he says, He will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock. My head shall be lifted up high above my enemies. You see, David knew, right? If the Lord was with him, then who can be against him? Future and your problems, bring it on. He's confident. Now, this was David 3,000 years ago. And for us today, we have even more reason to seek the Lord as the, the one and the only thing that we truly need. For we also have an objective fact to draw back upon in a way that's even greater than what David had. For we have seen the objective salvation that the Lord has brought through Christmas and Good Friday and Easter Sunday. You see, when Mariah Carey sang, All I want for Christmas is you, she really meant someone in your life that you desire, right? But they really can't give you light and salvation and stronghold. In a way, almost all of the love songs that I've ever written in this world should really be about God, isn't it? About the Lord Jesus. All we want and all we need for Christmas is the Lord Jesus. Because in the Lord Jesus, we get God's presence. In the Lord Jesus, we have light and salvation and a stronghold. We see this, don't we, in the New Testament. In the John 1 reading before, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Now, that word dwelt in the English sounds very normal, but really, in the, in, in, in the original language, it's actually the word for tabernacle, right? It's the verb form, the action word for the word tabernacle. Literally, the word Jesus, the Son of God, became flesh and tabernacled among us. Well, David asked, David said, the one thing I ask is that I may dwell in your tabernacle forever. And now the tabernacle comes to us when Jesus came into this world to be born. The, the Son of God came to be God's dwelling place and presence among us. One of Jesus' beautiful names is Emmanuel, God with us. It fulfills our deepest need for God's presence the Lord was David's light and salvation and stronghold. And once again, in John 1, we're told that the Jesus is our light and our life. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. You see, he was the light of life who came to defeat the darkness of sin and to take us out from the valley of the shadow of death. For our sins would have led us to death in this life and the life that is to come. But the light came to bring us salvation, to bring us life. Jesus was born to die so that through his death we might have light and life. And this is our past objective reality. This is what happened in history. Christmas exists because the Lord came to dwell on earth in a real time in real history, about 2,000 years ago. 
He achieved the real salvation by dying on a real Roman cross, by being buried in a real cave, and by really being raised from the dead, appearing to real eyewitnesses and having it all written down in a real book. This is past objective reality of the Lord as our light, our salvation, and our stronghold. But it's also, for many of us, our personal experience, isn't it? It's not just our past objective reality, it's our personal experience to know our Lord Jesus as light and salvation and stronghold. And we've been able to to face uh, life with all of its guilt and brokenness and sin within, and the pressures and challenges and pains outside, with growing confidence in the Lord Jesus, with less fear. We find that we're less afraid because we have Jesus. Because we know that we have Jesus, we have the one thing. We have the best thing that we will ever need. And if we have the best thing, then all the other things that we have or don't have, they, they don't matter as much, right? They become secondary. If you have the most important thing that you ever need, then everything else becomes secondary. Now, don't get me wrong. In life, there are many trials and there are many problems, challenges, and pains. There are many hurts and frustrations. There are many brokenness and evils. Christmas isn't a happy time for a lot of people because of broken homes, because of loneliness, because of, of pressures from the, from the work that has come, from, from having to do subs because they failed some papers, for having to look forward to another year where they will struggle likely in their relationships, in their careers, in their studies. But all those things get put in their proper place as secondary. We're able to cope with those things without fear and with confidence because we have Jesus, our light, our salvation, and our stronghold. This is the promise of Christmas. This is the promise of the gospel, that these things in life, whether we have them or we don't, they won't destroy us. They won't consume us. They won't overcome us. And instead, we can have peace. We can even have joy in the midst of this difficult life. Now, if you haven't yet come to know the truth and joy of Christmas, perhaps today will be the day that you too will come to see that there is only really one thing that you need. And God has given him to you, Jesus. Put your trust in him. Now, up to this point in the psalm, up to verse 6, we've only looked at half the psalm really, haven't we? It, it all seems very rosy, doesn't it? It all seems almost too easy. You know, when life is smooth sailing, it's so easy to talk about how God is our light and our salvation and our stronghold. It's easy to talk about how there is no fear, you know, there's confidence, we can have joy and peace. It all sounds very easy in the comfort of this beautiful air-conditioned room when we go back to our nice cars and houses and life. But will it actually be able to stand up to the harsh realities of life? And thankfully, as we read on in this psalm, we see that David isn't writing from a place of ease or comfort or security or safety. He is going through a crisis. This is the context in which he writes. Right? We see it in verse 10 to 12 especially. He talks about how he's, he's been forsaken by his father and his mother. It's probably poetic, talking about how he's been deserted by those closest to him. He tells us how he's, he's surrounded by enemies and adversaries who are rising up and breathing violence. He is going through a present crisis. And yet what do we see in verse 7 
to 14. How does David respond? What does he cry out to God for? Have a look. He says, Hear, O Lord. Be gracious and answer. Hide not your face. Turn not your servant away. Cast me not away. Forsake me not. Teach me your way. Give me not up to my adversaries. When you think about all these requests, doesn't it all just sound like the one thing that he seeks after? He is still seeking after the one thing. He's seeking after the Lord. The Lord had said to him, seek me. And David says, yes, I will seek you. And I'm seeking you now. I'm seeking your presence in my distress. I'm seeking to know more of you, to gaze upon your beauty in my distress. I'm seeking to ask you so that you will answer me in my distress. He is no fair-weather believer, is he? He is not just in a place of ease and comfort, being able to say, yes, the Lord is my light and my salvation and my stronghold. He is going through crisis, and he calls upon the Lord, the one thing, the only thing that he needs. David finishes off his psalm by saying to himself, wait for the Lord, be strong, and let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. You see, David was waiting for the Lord to make himself present again. Because David didn't always have God's ongoing presence. Not like we do. We live in a time after Emmanuel has come, God with us, and after the time in which those who trust in Jesus get God to be Emmanuel in us. The Spirit of God dwelling with us. We do not have to wait as David did for the presence of the Lord. For, for those who trust in Jesus, He's always with us, for He dwells in us. But in a way, we do have to wait for the Lord like David did. For now, we are certain that we stand before the presence of God, but we are still waiting for His return, aren't we? We are still waiting for that final day where He will make all things right. He will make all things new. He will restore this broken world and restore us broken people. And so we too have to wait like David. We too have to be strong and courageous as we face the many challenges and difficulties of this life. But we wait as those who already have God's presence with and in us. How much more should we be strong and courageous? How much more should we be unafraid and should we be confident? So let me ask you again, what do you want for Christmas? What do you most need? Not just for Christmas, but for every single day of your life. Now, if you're not yet a believer, if you're not yet a Christian, if you're not yet put your, your trust in Jesus, will you consider David's one request? Will you go home and think about why is it that David only wanted one thing in his whole life, and that was God? Why is it that Christians say that the only thing that we ever need is Jesus and the gospel? Will you consider why that above all, is what you most need. Why Jesus is the only light that can lead you out of darkness. Why He is your only salvation that can rescue you from your guilt and from your sin. And why He is the only stronghold, the only sure foundation that you can build your life upon. And I think you would have realized that in this world, there are very few lights and saviors and strongholds. In fact, there is no other but Jesus. Now, if you're a believer here this morning, the question is the same. Do you seek 
after the Lord as the only thing, the one thing that you most need? Or, or, or have you started to diversify your interests? Have you started to find other source of light to guide your path in this life? Other saviors, other strongholds to build your life upon? Maybe all you want for Christmas is a relationship that you think will be the light and the life, the love of your life that will make your life meaningful. Maybe it's your achievements in your studies, in your career. Maybe it's just you wanting to be your own light, your own savior, your own stronghold. You want to be strong. Today is a day to think, is Jesus really the only thing that you are building your life upon? Is he really your only light, salvation, and stronghold? Because if Jesus is in the right place in your life, then you'll be able to cope with both the trials and troubles as well as the successes and joys of this life. They will all have their proper place. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that David wrote this psalm expressing how there is only really one thing in his heart that he most desired, and that is your presence. To be able to dwell in your presence forever, to be able to gaze more and more upon your beauty, your character, your ways, and to be able to inquire, to ask, to speak, to relate to you. And we thank you so much that in Jesus, all of David's desires have been fulfilled. And we pray so much that you'll help us to desire Jesus in the way that David desired you, that we might truly see him as the only light, and the only savior, the only stronghold that can be our guide, that can be our savior, that can be what we build our life upon. As we face many trials and temptations to see Jesus as being less than he is, as we face many temptations to, to be lured away, to see other things as being worthy of our worship and our following, we pray that this Christmas you will help us to see that Jesus is the only way, the only one. Help us to build our life on him. For this we pray in Jesus' name. Jesus is our light, our salvation, and our stronghold. And this is what we remember and what we celebrate during Christmas. So let's sing our song of response, O Holy Night. Please rise. <laughs> 